0: Tell you a few things where we're going today we're gonna we're gonna i'm gonna bring the scripture reading this morning here in just a moment i'm gonna set that up and then we're gonna share in holy communion together and uh we'll uh have the chance for everyone who's here uh to be a part of us in that way It'll, it's a culminating event that we believe is some kind of mystical thing we don't explain it we don't believe that the bread actually transforms into jesus and yet we do believe that the, the the bread and the cup somehow help us meet Jesus in community with each other. And so uh, it is a special thing and, and a great way to start off the year uh, together. And uh, then at the end, we're going to share in a, in a common prayer. In fact, when we leave today, I'm going to give you, we're going to give you, you may have gotten these already, actually. You got them when you came in. Hold those up, actually. It helps to see the prayer that we're going to be praying together together. Um, for for a while now. I'm going to invite you to put that somewhere where you will see it and pray it so that we'll be praying the same words and you'll hopefully as we go along see why these particular words and kind of the orientation of this kind of prayer, this particular prayer, we're not replacing all the other kinds of prayer, but we need one in which we come together with the same words and are asking God to do more than we could imagine him to do. And that's what that prayer is for. So we'll end praying that prayer together, and our youth and our children are going to be in the room at the end if we get our timing right, and um, they're going to pray it with us. Uh, So we look forward to that moment together as we're united uh, together. Every year at 6 p.m. at sunset on February the 14th, people gather on the beach at Siesta Key, Uh, in Sarasota County, Florida. This is an event put on by the Sarasota County Parks and Recreation. And it is a uh, marriage vows renewal ceremony. So there you are at sunset, on the beach, recommitting to the promise for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, till death do us part. Uh, guys, if you 're looking for a valentine 's Day thing, this might be it. It, uh, it could work. It sounds romantic in fact, as we were this is, n- this is a sidestep from the sermon, but as I was thinking about this, I thought we could do that uh, and so we 're thinking about this for February thirteenth uh, to have a marriage vow renewal ceremony we don 't do a lot you know that kind of holds up marriage, and we probably should do more and this is a chance to do that for those of us who want to renew our vows that might be coming. So if you think that's a good idea, let me know. Okay, back to the sermon. As we think about the power of a promise, uh, there is something to renewing those promises, isn't there? As I sit with uh, couples who are getting married and, you know, so often they're young and they're shiny and they're innocent and naive and everything that the other person does is cute, right? and I sit and do like premarital counseling with folks, and, uh, and, and if they're in their 20s or, or, or they're young, there, there is an element of so much anticipation and excitement for how they'll make a promise, and then all of us have promises that then shape us over the course of our lives, and we don't know what that promise is gonna ask of us, do we? We don't know the challenges that will come. We don't know if we'll be able to keep them. It is a human reality. And we don't know how the the give and take of those promises will, will shape the course of our lives. You know, I you know I think I've I've told you many times I have a weekly call um, with my friend Len. We we talk and we share about real stuff and we pray together. And uh, we were talking not too long ago about how marriage sometimes takes work and commitment. And um, that, I mean, that's not true for me, but for other people, it can be challenging. And um, we, were, we were sharing honestly and openly about that. And I said, you know, it would be nice if they just stood you up in front of people at the beginning of all this and helped you sort of understand that, like made you make promises before God and everybody to try to help you live into those commitments. It would be nice if they could kind of warn you ahead of time. And, of course, they do. We do. That's the way, the way it works. But truthfully, we don't know what it will mean to live into promises. And, 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 you know, whatever the promise is, there is an element of you making it, but then there is an element of you renewing it kind of in a daily way. Whatever your commitment is, we know that there has to be into this, woven into it, an element of re-upping Whatever the promise is, kind of, yeah, oh yeah, this is what I value, this is what's important to me, I want to say yes to that again, and then again, and then again. And the joy of life is being able to rediscover the power of those commitments, whatever they are, that might shape us over over time. Now, to say it another way, we all know it's all too easy to drift away from the things that matter to us. For the initial enthusiasm that burns pretty hot, whatever the commitment is to, to cool over time. And for us, in some way or another, to wrestle with whether we wanna give up on things that are important to us. So we, we quit, and, and, and that's a part of life as well. And so renewing our commitments allows us to reclaim them, to, to deepen them, to understand what we're saying yes to, and to claim that again. to, To say it another way, for us to actually live for the things that we say are important to us. And this is why the psalmist says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. This is a spiritual thing. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. That word steadfast can easily be translated ready or prepared. Uh, It means literally to rise to the occasion in life. Help me to be spiritually strong, inwardly strong, so that I can step up to the moment of my life and find myself ready again and again, whatever comes, for better or for worse. And so our life together in the church is built on this, actually, I think. It is built on these powerful commitments, these covenants that we renew to each, with each other that shape us over time. You know, our, our, our commitment to one another, our covenants with each other call us up to the fullest sort of life possible, to participate with the triune God in his possibility as it breaks forth in people, in us. And, and you know, the, the, that's something that we can drift from, but we can find ourselves drawn back into as we renew our commitments to one another. And I think that's what the church is built on, actually, as opposed to doing a really, really good job, as opposed to putting on a really great performance, as opposed to having really, really strong programs, as opposed to being successful in any sense of what that might mean. It's easy to build our life together on that. It can be attractional. It almost can be consumeristic. You put out a good product, the people show up, poof, church happens. But it doesn't. The contrast to that, another way of looking at it, is you can kind of do a lot of things sort of adequately. But if you have prayer right, if we have our commitments to each other right, then that's the thing we can build everything else on but you can do a lot of things well, and if our commitments to one another are shallow, then it's sort of like a marriage covenant when you know that young couple kind of gets into it kind of thinking maybe at the beginning this is a little more about meeting my own needs. And over time they discovered that actually what love means is giving your life away to somebody else. And I think in the church it's the same thing. I think what we do is we discover over time that this deal is actually about giving our lives away to each other. And if you have that, then the rest kind of comes into place. And if you don't, then nothing else matters. Our spiritual lives can be shallow. Our commitments to one another can be fleeting. But the covenants we make to one another and to God can shape us and surprise us as God brings an element into our lives that we couldn't bring ourselves. And so in this series we're going to do a, a mini covenant renewal, a mini vow renewal ceremony every week. We're gonna think about what, it, what we say we promise to one another and our commitments to one another, and then try to rediscover the heat of that commitment, that power, the power of that promise as it's played out over time. So let me put the, the words of our membership covenant, sort of the basic heart of it, uh, in, in the United Methodist Church. And I, as I get started here with, I mean, we see the words United Methodist up there. It's not because we're stuck on uh, uh, ourselves or kind of feel like we're the best. Uh, it's just that some, at some point it has to get specific. At some point you've gotta live into this somewhere, somehow. And we have our strengths and we have our weaknesses, but this is us and we're gonna, we're gonna be in it together around those. Uh, of course, the, the, the initial part of that pledge is to Christ himself, which is most important. And so let me read this. We pledge to be loyal to Christ through the United Methodist Church and do all in our power to strengthen its ministries. And then this says how? By our prayers, by our presence, by our gifts, our service, and our witness. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to roll through each of those. And we're going to consider what it means to renew our covenant with one another around that particular thing around today as we think about the, the power of prayer and our, our maybe our most basic commitment to one another, our most important one, to be a people of prayer. A few weeks ago, we were driving through town and my daughter, is uh, she turns 16 tomorrow, by the way. Um, yeah, so um, there's a lot to say there. but So we're driving in the car and um, she says, out of nowhere, we're going to a family function, she says, uh, out of nowhere, Hey, Dad, have you spent time in prayer today? And I didn't. That was not a question I was expecting from the back seat. It's not unlike Sarah Grace to just come off, you know, kind of ask, get right to it and kind of ask the question. Hey, Dad, have you spent time in prayer uh, today? And truthfully, this was during the holidays, so, like, my schedule had been off, maybe, like, you had this too, like, I was thinking, okay, did I do my prayer time today? And I was there, and confessionally, there were some days where I didn't do my normal schedule, which is uh, to pray in the mornings, but that day I had, so I had wrestled, you know, here I am in driving, kind of wrestling, doing the spiritual, like, accountability session. My daughter's holding me accountable. I'm thinking it through, and then I sort of proud of myself said, yes, honey, I did pray this morning, actually, and uh, why do you ask? And she says, oh, I don't know. It's just what the church sign says over there on the other side of the road, and sure enough, the church (laughs) sign said, have you spent time in prayer today? Which... So there is a sense to like us holding each other accountable to this thing, to, 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 to pray for each other and to build our lives on it. For this to be the thing that is the foundation of everything else. Sue Nielsen Kibbe has uh, written a book called Ultimately Responsible. It's about leadership development in the church. And she says that when she was a pastor at Ginghamsburg United Methodist Church, one of our larger United Methodist churches in, in Ohio, uh, she said it was the basic commitment of the leaders, both lay and staff, that they didn't come into the church building without having prayed for each other, prayed for the church that morning. And what we do in that is we reset our expectations for each other, for our relationships themselves, for what God is doing. And as we, as we enter that element, it changes and shapes our, the rest of our commitments. This is the way Paul... Prayed for the Ephesians, in other words. And I want to read this prayer for you as you think about an ancient leader in the church praying this, giving these words to the people that he was leading and then seeing how those apply to us and the element they bring into, bring into our life together. He writes, For this reason, I kneel before the Father. In other words, he's praying. I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in, within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We instantly hear how the game has changed through the words of this prayer. The thing that we're saying yes to, the thing that we're doing together, the thing that we're doing in life changes as we bring this element in that only God can bring in. Some call this kind of prayer an opening prayer or a breakthrough prayer. And what it means is that ultimately we're we're making ourselves open, an opening prayer, to what God alone can bring. It is sort of like praying, not my will, but yours be done. It is a resetting of what we're even doing in life. Some call it a breakthrough prayer because what we're trying to do is break out of what we alone can bring to the equation and break through to what God alone can bring to the equation. This Ephesians prayer is a prayer to God who is the Father of heaven and earth. It is a reminder that in Christ those two are coming together and that we're dealing with earthly realities but with heavenly power. And so power and strength are and abundance are woven throughout the prayer. He, t- he talks about God's glorious riches. He talks about the, the, the strength uh, that, that God brings into the equation. And then earlier in uh, Ephesians 1, that that strength he, uh, he goes into a little bit more. Uh, he, he clarifies as the strength that that raised Jesus from the dead. The prayer he's bringing into human realities is a prayer that took Christ from the lowest of the low and took him to the highest of the high. Let's read Ephesians 1. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. This is the thing that we need. And to clarify again, it, it, especially for people... Um, uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, who are moderately to pretty successful in life. Uh, as a congregation, we tend to do pretty well. It is easy for us who have our stuff together or at least can pretend like it and get away with it. It is easy enough for us to rely on our own strength, our own talents, our own giftedness, our own success to bring that to the equation and to bring that to community and feel like we're really making a contribution. But the truth is, That will only get us so far. Our abilities, our success will only take us so far. And we need to remind ourselves as we renew our commitments to one another that no matter how successful and gifted we are, there is a power that is needed, the same power that took Christ from the lowest of the low to the highest of the high, who set him at the the right hand of God. That's what we're talking about. That's the thing that we bring to one another when we pray for one another. Paul's prayer is ultimately a prayer for human flourishing. That out of God's abundance, we would stop living out of a sense of scarcity and have our eyes set on what God can bring. The message version says it this way, that you would live full lives, full in the fullness of God. Henry Nouwen says this about prayer. To pray, I think, does not mean to think about God in contrast to thinking about other things or to spend time with God instead of spending time with other people. Rather, it means to think and to live in the presence of God. Today, I simply remind you that, that we need you <laughs> to think and live in the presence of God, that, that, that you need me to do that and I need you to do that. And that if we do, uh, our life together takes on another dimension. An indescribable piece that ultimately transforms the way we live our lives. The way we see the world. Without this kind of dimension, it is easy to slip into what has been called practical atheism. Meaning we say we believe in God, but we really believe in ourselves in, the, in the, the day-to-day reliance of where we sort of find our strength and how we do our stuff and how we get up in the morning and find the strength to do it and do it over again that it's easy to keep falling back on ourselves Richard Rohr says that that practical atheism by the way is in his words the actual operative religion of the West and he writes the God we've been presenting people with is just too small and too stingy for a big-hearted person to trust or to love back but Paul says, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, that pretty much covers it, doesn't it, <laughs> right? It, it just blows the top off of this thing immeasurably more than we could even think of or even get our heads around. You know, it's worth noting that Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, um, it, it uses the word you a lot, that you would find strength in your inner being, And that you would be able to grasp the full dimensions of the love of Christ, how high and wide and long and deep. But that word you is not a singular, and that's actually really important. As you know, there isn't really in English uh, a second person plural, unless you're from the South, and then we use the word y'all, right? Uh, but in Greek, there is a, there's a standard word for that, and that's the word that's used. So every time you read you in, the, in Ephesians 3, it is really y'all. And that's important because the vision here is not of individual people getting their individual needs met. It is not a prosperity gospel of the individual who gets to flourish while other people flounder. This is a vision of something that happens only in our life together. So in other words, if you feel inadequate, if you feel like you can kind of hear this and say, yeah, I'm not enough, I can't imagine that happening in me, you, I think, are right. The good news, but also the scary news in this, is that it only happens together. It only happens as we decide that it's worth it together and renew our commitments together to be in this together together. To see the fullness, to live full lives in the fullness of God that only happens for better or for worse and for richer or for poorer. I think Paul's vision is for us to reset how we think about the very thing that we've been doing for a long time. And maybe in the, the path that we've been on in the last three or four years, this is a chance to rediscover something. to think about that individualistic thing and that individual spiritual pursuit thing and and ask how's that working for us? Is it really enough? Maybe reconsider the power of what happens together when we experience God's presence in community and how we become a community that embodies God's fullness. Recently I saw an acquaintance out at a social function in He walked up and shook my hand and then asked if I knew another United Methodist pastor in the state. And it's a pretty small state, right? I'm going to know pretty much everybody. But this particular United Methodist pastor in another city is a good friend of mine. We talk often. And um, we're actually going to have a meeting uh, later in the month uh, with with our staff and theirs. And 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 so I said, yeah, I I know him very well. And he said, well, good. I want to tell you this story. And he told the story of how this pastor uh, had um, been the pastor of his son, that his son had gone to that church several years ago, and that they had signed up, the son had signed up for a disciple Bible study. Anybody know what disciple Bible study is? It is a year-long commitment to, to learn the scriptures. Big commitment, right? And so this pastor uh, had decided that if the people were going to make that big of a commitment, that he needed to make a commitment to them. And so he committed to pray for them. And what he committed to do was to, to pray for that particular group of people every week for the rest of his ministry. Powerful commitment. I'm not sure, he's, maybe he'd never done that before, maybe not since, but with, for whatever reason, with those particular people... He decided to do that. So fast forward, all these years later, the pastor and the dad of the the son who was in the Bible study meet, and there's an instant connection. They they knew each other. The pastor knew the dad because he knew the son. And then in the conversation, he said these words. He said, "You know, I, I yes, I know your son. I have said his name out loud in prayer every week for years." I don't have to tell you the way that hits a dad's heart when he hears that. This is the level, the depth of, the beauty of connection that we have, the potential of what we have together. And so today we renew our commitment to praying for one another in a way that brings life together at this soul level. How can you do that? Well, I think at the most basic level is to think about your small group, whatever that is, or however you get there. What we envision is a small group of people who know what's really going on and praying for each other. And it is okay to pray for your family's health needs, but it's also critically important that those soul things get talked about and those things get prayed for. So however that looks, there will be opportunities, ongoing opportunities, uh, as we go for us to not just be a church with small groups, but to be a church of small groups, and the lifeblood of it is that we're praying for each other in commitment to one another. By the way, out, I just outside these doors, pass the, uh, the, uh, to the left, just so before you get out in the hallway, if you hit the mosaic and turn left, we have, as part of this renovation, we... Uh, you might, some of you will remember there used to be an overhang here, and that wall closes that in. And there's space there, and it's been a collecting space for the last almost year. But it is now our new Minton conference room, our Minton gathering space. We have another gathering space. So as you go out today, you might just peek around there and look at that. It's awesome. And uh, we're going to have a class in there. Our Rudy class will be in there this morning. As you think about what small groups are, they can kind of go along the surface level, or they can be the soul level. And I think that soul level is what, what we're called to. We renew our commitments to offering prayers up week in and week out. That prayer request thing is important, and it, we take it seriously. So on your order of worship, there is a QR code that you can scan, or if you have our app, you can go to the Connect tab and then Prayer Requests, and there is a form that you fill out, and that goes as you kind of direct it to our prayer teams or to our pastors or both. I want to let you kind of know that whenever you tell me something, that's the very form that I fill out. So our pastors actually fill out that form, and it goes into a system so that we know where they are, and we can contract them and pray for them and send them to the right places. And, in fact, we have, as we, we talk about week in and week out, we have people who feel called to this ministry, who prayer is their ministry with us, and they, uh, they have a calling and a passion for that. And so I want our prayer team members to stand just wherever you are so we can see you. And uh, appreciate you. So, yeah, I want, thank you. It is no small thing that you do this for us, and uh, we appreciate it. Thank you, thank you all so much. And In fact, uh, over the last few years, we've had a few people on our church council whose role has been to look at it through the angle of prayer. Uh, to know about what the inner workings of the leadership of the church, specifically so that they could take all of that and and pray over it. And Kathy McCurdy is stepping onto our church council um, this year in that role. And Kathy, I really can't tell you how much I appreciate that as well. Uh, Essentially, what I want to just leave us with is a reminder that we just don't ever know how this kind of uh, soul-level engagement matters. We don't always get to hear the stories of people who need prayer the people who are going through things a a reminder that we do live in this life together for better for worse and for richer for poorer and in sickness and in health and so uh, Logan Steenbergen is here with us she attends this service and a few weeks ago we sat down and recorded her story and part of it at least and here it is
1: I'm Logan Steenbergen, and I'm a teacher at Potter Gray Elementary. I teach first grade. I've been there for about three years um, but I've been teaching for eight. This is my eighth year of teaching. Yeah, I grew up in Barron County. Um, I graduated from Barron County High School in 2011 and came to Western um, not to be a teacher. I was gonna be a marine biologist and um, so I was gonna move to Australia and save the Great Barrier Reef and so um, that Biology was terrible. I quickly decided that was not for me. Um, And I was gonna be a speech pathologist, and so you have to take an intro to education class to be a speech pathologist, and um, here I am teaching. So it all, I couldn't tell you how it happened, but it did. But I love the kids, and like, even at church, like when, you know, Baptism Sunday or Bible Sunday, so many of those kids I've had in class, just in the three years I've been here, and so that's always really, really cool and really special to see. So I gradually started coming and um, through college, but not regularly, um, just when, whenever it worked out. And then um, I moved home for a couple of years to Glasgow. And when, I, when I moved back to Bowling Green, my sister Linda also moved with me and we started attending Broadway regularly. Landry's always been, our youngest sister Landry's always been like that driving force for us. Like you gotta go to church. Like she's our moral compass, you may say. But, um, and so, you know, she would drive down here and go with us sometimes or spend the night with us. And it just became like something we enjoyed doing rather than something that I felt like I had to do. Um, we got up, I got up with my sisters on Sunday morning, we got ready and we would come to Broadway. And um, my parents have started joining us, which is really special. They'll drive from Glasgow and go to the service with us. I was at the state golf tournament for Landry, her senior year, and All of a sudden I was sitting there and I can tell you exactly where I was on Bowling Green Country Clubs course and my head started like twitching to the side. So they did a CT scan. I didn't think anything about it. And a little while later, my dad was in the room and the ER doctor came in and like made a joke to him and then looked at me and said, and you have a pretty big mass on your brain. And so they were like, we're going to admit you, you're going to have surgery on Wednesday. But they're wheeling me in the wheelchairs and it's like, down these long hallways and they had the little corner mirrors and I remember just looking at myself and being like this is it like you don't have a future you were teaching first grade yesterday and took a really long time to get the actual diagnosis of glioblastoma Um, they would give us some hope that it was something that was benign or something different and then they would take that hope away and I was like you know like I've got less than a year In my head, at that point, I'm like, okay, Logan, like, you got to prepare yourself. It's going to come back. It's going to, like, it's bad. And so, it's just earth shattering. And, you know, there are times through the process that I've, it's not fair. Um, It stinks. I don't know why it happened to me. Um, But overall, like, I'm not angry at God. Um, If anything, it's made my faith. 10 times stronger, um, before I was coming to church, like I said, but I wasn't active in the church. Nobody knew me. I didn't know anybody. You know, sometimes I thought Martha was crazy standing up on stage crying. I was like, man, she loves the Lord. How do you get there? And now I stand in the, you know, stand out there and I just feel just like her. Um, like I get it now. I walk through the doors now and like, I feel like I'm home. Um, partly because of the people A big part of it is because of the people like, you know, people that I didn't know reached out to me through my diagnosis, you know, reached out to my aunt, my sisters, you know, came to the hospital, sent flowers and continue to reach out. Um, And when I walk into church, all of a sudden, like I know people and I feel that sense of community and I feel like I want to be here. Like if I'm not here, I I miss it. Wednesday nights for me are like my safe haven. When I come, I leave here feeling so full and so much better because, you know, I've got that community and I've got those people that, you know, I love and love me and want the best for me. I'm thankful for the people in my life um, and for my faith because it's changed a lot in the past year and a half, but it's stronger than it's ever been. And I just, I'm so thankful for those people who never gave up, the people who pour themselves into Broadway and into the people at Broadway. Um, And it's not just a Sunday morning thing or a Wednesday night thing. Like it's a, it's their whole life thing. You know, you see them out and they know you, they remember you, they remember your story and they're willing to share their testimonies um, to just make somebody's life a little bit better. Um, And they like, if God tells them to do it, they're gonna follow. Those are the people that like inspire me so much. And I've seen it so much at Broadway. I can't even describe it, but there's so many people here who are just good. They're just good people. And I'm so thankful for it.
0: Let's thank Logan for sharing her story. In fact, Logan, I'm gonna invite you up. What well, Logan said as we, um, as we were telling her story, she asked if today could be the day that she actually joins the church. So Logan, come on, I'll get you right up in front of everybody, just, yeah, thank, thank you for that. And thank you for um, the chance to be in this with you and your family and uh, the people that uh, love you so much we have come to feel the same way and are honored to be uh, in the church with you so on behalf of the whole church i ask you do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness reject the evil powers of this world and repent of your sin if so say i do do you accept the freedom and power god gives you to resist evil injustice and oppression in whatever forms they present present themselves if so say i do Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages and nations and races, if so say, I do. According to the grace given you, will you remain a faithful member of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representative in the world? And as a member of this congregation, will you faithfully participate in his ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? Church, if you'll join me as Christ's body in affirming, reaffirming both your rejection of sin and your commitment to Christ, if you will say, I, we do. And will you nurture one another in the Christian faith and life and include Logan now before you in your care? Let's join together. With God's help, we will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We will surround Logan with a community of love and forgiveness that she may grow in her trust of God and be found faithful in her service to others. We will pray for her that she may be a true disciple who walks in the way that leads to life. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this person, this woman, this child, this daughter before you and before us. Would you bless her in every way? Would you guide her in her health journey and give her strength and courage for each step of what is ahead? And would you use her as a powerful witness of your love as we have seen already today? May that continue to be the case as she gives uh, witness to your goodness in this world as she serves you faithfully. And We pray it in Jesus' name. let's share in holy communion together and as those who are coming to serve come forward let's pray together God we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup may they be for us an experience of the body and blood of Christ that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood by your spirit make us one with Christ make us one with each other Make us one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast together at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with your Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. All right, as we come for communion,